Get your motors running. Coming up, we get behind the wheel with Cars 3 star Nathan Fillion and baby driver director Edgar Wright. There's the fan that all they, all they want is a photo. They really don't. They don't see you. They just say, hey, I want a photo. That's all it is. Give it to me. I don't know whether to feel like a proud father or whether it's like my kid is leaving home. Do you know what I mean? And so I feel like maybe when the film's out, I'm like an empty nest syndrome. If anybody wants to name their kid after the character in that show, they have to say, oh yes, I was named for a character in this show, and now there's a chance that somebody might watch it and still love it and still dress up like that guy, and I'll still be relevant and everybody will be happy, especially me. It was like sort of like the idea of like a sort of a different spin on a crime genre, something that's like but takes like two things that you already love and puts them together in an interesting way. Yeah. So it's making like making a new ice cream. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Come on in, grab a seat at the bar, pour yourself into Grony, sit back and listen to the conversations as they fly through the air. This week, it's all about cars. And I don't just mean Cars 3, the new Pixar film that's in theaters this weekend. It's all about automobiles. So while you're at the bar, remember, don't drink and drive, but sit back and listen to my conversations with Baby Driver director Edgar Wright. That's a movie that's been 22 years in the making. It's all about driving real fast, and we'll get to that just a little bit later on. First up, though, Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion, you know as one of the stars of One Life to Live. Maybe you know him from that. Maybe you know him as Captain Malcolm Reynolds on the short-lived but well-loved show Firefly. You've seen him on everything from Big Bang Theory to Modern Family to Desperate Housewives. Of course, he was Castle for 173 episodes of that crime drama. I guess it was a comedy. Crime dramedy. Now he plays Sterling. He's a talking car, he's a CEO, and he is the new boss of Lightning McQueen in Cars 3. We kick things off here by discovering how Pixar matches a car to your character's personality. Here's my conversation with Nathan Fillion. How do they decide what kind of car you're going to be? Um, and what kind of car is Sterling? That's a fantastic question, and, and they don't come out and tell you this is the brand this is the name the make the model but um, I'll tell you this they they don't uh, they're not haphazard about it right. it's very meticulous everything they do is meticulous and I and I uh, met John Lasseter just last night and he was explaining to me how he has a friend who was the designer who designed uh, for Audi, for example. He des his One of his was the TT. Yeah. Like, he designs incredible actual vehicles that yeah, you yeah. would say, really? That's his? Uh, he designed Sterling. He, he was one of the guys who said, oh, what you want is a... So this is, this is people who think in terms of design. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a whole language that I don't speak, that I don't understand, <laughs> but it's like uh, flavor profiles that when you... When people, so, uh, sommeliers talk about that kind yeah. of stuff. It's a different language. And, and getting a hint of the, uh, an, a, a sous-sante of Edam cheese. Right, with some, yeah. some horse blanket <laughs> in the background. But, but the result you can't argue with. You look at it and you go, oh yeah, yeah. that's obviously a business car. He's the color of a, of a smart suit. Yeah, he's, yeah. The, he's got clean lines. He's sleek, and, uh, but not imposing. Like right. he's, he's nice. He's, yeah, it's very interesting. It's interesting when you, when you 
sort of dial it back to the beginning in that way and, and see the care that's taken in every phase of this because some of my favorite moments or most of my favorite moments in films are the moments where you know everything you need to know about the character without them saying anything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you could look at Sterling and say, okay, well, he's obviously got money because look at mm-hmm. sleep, so you know, that all that stuff. But uh, to actually make it happen in a movie I think is difficult. I would, you know, would imagine. Yes, just, I agree. Yeah. But and, and again, here's where Pixar, I think, excels. Yeah. Um, it's a language I don't understand. It's a language I don't speak, but they obviously do. They know how to tell a story. They know how to get an animated character to emote, yeah. which I find pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty subtle. And we were talking in the television interview. Now you're 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 a toy again. So you've got to be an action figure already. Oh yes. right? yeah. yeah. So um, I was thinking about that. I was I had a little walk around, and I was thinking that must be kind of mind blowing. Because when you were a kid, you must have had a GI Joe. Yes. You must have had like with Kung Fu Grip. With Kung Fu Grip. I sure did. Absolutely. And so you know you you go from having that to actually being one. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Um, I was the guy, we had the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu, we had some of the classic toys, the yeah. G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, the, the Rock'em Sock'em robots, yeah, yeah. and Smash Up Derby, do you remember those, you yeah. had to pull the cord through yeah. and, and wheel them at each other? Um, those were some of the most fantastic toys I remember having as, as a kid. Uh, otherwise it was Lego and a stick and your imagination, that was <laughs> yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but to go from, isn't this a neat little Hot Wheels, to the very idea that I would have my own Hot Wheels car one day that I don't even I can't even <laughs> yeah do you have kids? I don't you don't I was no. just want to say if you did or nephews or nieces or anything that I might certainly have a, enough little kids in my life yeah. that uh, that's uh, they're all getting uh, Sterling Hot Wheels for Christmas <laughs> but it must kind of blow their minds absolutely yeah, yeah absolutely I brought four of them along to the premiere actually and uh, boy Disney sure does a premiere right yeah. and um logistically handling such a volume of people yeah. it's something that Disney does right and we did it at Disneyland and the party was at Cars Land afterwards I mean it was yeah. I, watching these kids light everything around them was amazing for an entire day well I went to a few years ago I went to uh, the Disney like essentially the Disney Comic Con mm-hmm. D23 or something and it was in California and I was amazed at the people. The the event is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, Frozen was just about to come out, and they had Adina Menzel come out and sing "Let It Snow," and then it snowed in the room. Oh, like, wow. It was like there was just you know it was crazy. That stuff was crazy. But beyond all that, beyond all the production value of that, looking at the people that were there that were hardcore Disney fans and and generational, like grandmother wearing Mickey Mouse ears, a little girl dressed as a princess, and you know the whole thing and everything in between. It, it really uh, drove home for me how important this is to people. And you must have seen some of that at the premiere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, when I say the word wholesome, when I use the term wholesome family entertainment, it almost seems uh, like something I wouldn't want to, uh, <laughs> I, that I wouldn't enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But when in actuality, you, as... Uh, as entertainment, if you can bring a family together where the, everybody's participating and everybody's young at heart, and every, I mean, that's something that uh, Disney and Pixar can do. They, they can bring the kid in you out, yeah, yeah. which I love. Yeah, 
And certainly, I mean, I know little boys in particular, but I think a lot of people uh, love these movies, these Cars movies. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about them with the emotionality of them, and the cars are really cool. Yes, absolutely. And I think they're very careful this year not to disinclude the girls. They're yeah. making sure that the girls were uh, heavy hitters in this one, I think. Uh, yeah. I think that was important, too, especially right now. Yeah. You played uh, Castle. I was surprised you did 170 episodes of Castle. I didn't know the number, but that sounds that sounds accurate. Yeah, that's a lot of this. And so the character grows and changes, and, you know, there's all that stuff yes, over, over the eight years. How many is that? Eight, eight years. years. Eight years. Um, and how hard is it, and maybe this is a completely naive question, but just to shake that off and do something new afterwards. How hard is it? Yeah. Or is it left on the set when you're done with it, you're just done with it? You know what I mean, the character? The, the, as far as the character goes, I think the, the only danger is falling into any habits. Well, you do the same character for eight years. Um, it, 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 there are things you will start to do habitually. Right. So uh, I think a little more focus is, is appropriate. I think yeah, a little yeah. more focus. Make sure you're not um, recycling anything right. from your last gig. I, I've never had to worry about that before, but yeah, here we are. Yeah, yeah. And, and how was this accomplished? So are you in a studio by yourself? Are you interacting with other people? There, I, I, I wish I could say that we were all together doing the scenes together, but that's not true. We are solo, by yourself, and highly reliant on... The director yep. who's there with you uh, the whole time, um, who has a an excellent through line for the movie. He has an excellent idea as to this is the emotion of the scene. This is how much energy we need for this, uh, and give it to me like this in case this doesn't work. We can use this. We have some options on this, so let's do some options on that. Um, they are meticulous. Yeah, I use that word a lot because it's absolutely true. They leave nothing to chance, and they want it to work. They want it to be a great story, and. That's, I think, the bottom line, and I think that's what, why they're so successful. Is it a different part of your actor's brain that you're using? Because it is different, right? It's a different thing. I would say less, if anything, because yeah. I don't have to worry about uh, every every gesture, every right. moment. Yeah. Um, I have some terrible habits uh, in acting that I have to fight all the time, which is hands out, palms up. <laughs> hands out, palms up. And the worst is letting them slap when they come down. Hands up, hands up palms out. What do you mean? Like, it's the worst thing. So, I, it's, it's, and I see it happen a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's something I fight a great deal that you don't have to worry about when you're doing a voiceover. Yeah. If somebody else is taking care of the acting portion, anything visual they've taken care right. of, you only need the voice. It's, it's, it's different. Yeah. And I think it maybe even allows you a little more focus. Uh, so this movie has a message. Yes. It has a message. What do you see it as? You know what? There's a number of messages in this movie. I think one that is very important and very timely right now is do not let anyone tell you you can't. Right. Don't let anyone else limit you. Uh, and I think that's something that uh, uh, Cristela did very well with Cruz Ramirez was um, defeat her own demons. She had a lot of insecurity and a lot of doubt, and she overcame that stuff. And, and that's it. because I was also thinking, you know, the idea that the, the Rust Ease method of training is very high tech mm -hmm. and uh, reliant on wind machines and all the other stuff that happens that they have. Uh, but it's old school hard work mm -hmm. that actually works. Yeah. That was sort of a message that I made. And maybe it's just my age. Yeah, the old timers, I'm sure. Sell that. Yeah, you new, you newcomers, you don't know what it's like to work hard. And so, you know, I talk about that stuff all the time. But yeah, uh, yeah it shows your age. Yeah, it does. I think, you know what? Listen, I'll, 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 I'll accept that. <laughs>
Looking over your resume, I never saw you on One Life to Live. Okay. You did that for a long time, though. Three right? years. Three years. Yeah. And, and every day. And every day, right? Yeah, it wasn't like one show a week. It was yeah. one show a day. And so, like, when do you get the scripts? How does it work? Because uh, the, the schedule seems impossible to me just to remember everything. Are there cue cards everywhere? Are there... Uh, we didn't do cue cards. Yeah. There's no one on our show who did cue cards. I've heard rumors of cue cards. Yeah. Uh, but, but that was never the case on our show. Uh, there were some of the... Even the older, older, older guys did not use cue cards. They were seasoned pros Um, it is a a mountain of work it is 40 pages a day it is where they they go through a scene they say listen we have to cut six lines throughout your scene and then these two lines are going to be the same line just put these two lines together do you need a rehearsal (laughs) and you just go okay look uh, that line's cut that line's cut okay let's try it let's do it let's do it It, it's a muscle it's like if you started doing push-ups three in three years if you're doing push-ups every day for three years, by the end of it, you could do a lot of push-ups, yep. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. And by the end of three years, uh, that muscle, that memorizing, that taking these words and making them live, um, that was a muscle I flexed pretty well. Yeah. Because yeah. you had done stage work. You had done also. Absolutely. But, but, but this just feels different. Right? It, oh, it's super different. Yeah. It's super different. And it's and any, anybody who talks down on daytime, and I never will. I'll yeah. never talk down on daytime. Anybody who talks down on daytime has never done daytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they never would talk down on it if they'd ever done it. Do you get to have a life when you've got 40-page scripts coming You get in to have day? one life to live. No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, do you have... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's some late-night works, but uh, but everybody is doing the same job. Yeah, super yeah, fast. Yeah. Super, we got to do this fast. It's a machine, yeah. and it has to produce this much TV. Um, that's the job. So, yeah. yeah, everybody was doing it. We had a life outside of that. There was yeah. times when we would leave work late, go change clothes, come back and pick up the people who were working even later, <laughs> grab them, take them out to dinner because they were working so late, that kind of thing. Like we try to take care of our own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very cool. We have time for one more question. We have time for one more question. So, you moved from that uh, to um, a, 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 a sci fi series mm-hmm. that became very popular and brings with it. A set of fans that were very intense, yes. and in a good way, I yeah, think. Yes. But it's a different kind of fandom than I think other things bring with it. There's the fan that um, uh, collects autographs. Yeah. There's the fan that all they, all they want is a photo. They really don't. They don't see you. They just say, "Hey, I want a photo." <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> Give it to me. And then there's the fan that names their kids for the characters yeah. you played. And yeah. there's the like. Like, this meant so much to me that I needed in my life all the time. I need a constant reminder. I needed to be present. And Joss Whedon, the Whedon verse, yeah. has those fans. Yeah. It's amazing. That's got to be kind of humbling for you as an actor, though, if someone says, I named my kid after you. It actually uh, makes me feel. I would. What did we say? It was almost 15 years ago that show came out, and people are still loving it and dressing up like the characters. I will be sad on the day they stop doing that. So that if anybody wants to name their kid after the character in that show, they have to say, oh yes, I was named for a character in this show and now there's a chance that somebody might watch it and still love it and still dress up like that guy and I'll still be relevant and everybody will be happy, especially me. That was Nathan Fillion. He's in theaters right now, right as we speak, as Sterling in Cars 3. 
Edgar Wright's new movie, Baby Driver, opens at the end of the month, but I wanted to share this with you. You know him as the director of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, who doesn't love all of those movies? His new film is an idea that he had when he was a very young man. He was listening to the John Spencer Blues Explosion, a song called Bell Bottoms, and he had this idea, this idea at the back of his head he could picture a car chase happening to that song. It stuck with him for 20 years. The result is this movie, Baby Driver. We talk about the inspiration. We talk about why music's important. We talk about all that stuff. This is Edgar Wright, director of Baby Driver. After 22 years <laughs> of thinking about this, what's it like? What's it like now that it's done and you're, 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 you get that reaction that you got last night? I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like sort of, uh, I don't know whether to feel like a proud father <laughs> or whether it's like my kid is leaving home. Do you know what I mean? And so I feel like maybe when the film's out, I might get empty nest syndrome. Because it's finally something that I've been like, been with me for so long. And now it's out. I mean, it's, it is sort of amazing. It is that thing where sort of some, it's like sort of a beautiful thing. And I, I don't really know how to describe it in terms of like, a sort of dream that I had 22 years ago now exists as a movie with a poster and like, you know, a trailer. And, you know, I've been working on it. I had the idea, the gem of the idea, like I said in the Q&A last night, like 22 years ago. Then I started sort of working out what the plot was. Then in 2002, I essentially, I felt like I had potentially squandered the idea by using it for a music video. Mm -hmm. And I was mad at myself for doing that. And then later, after Hot Fuzz, I thought, oh, I'm still going to do something with this idea. Meanwhile, the video is still sort of like echoing around because there's Noel Fielding in that video, who was in that video from The Mighty Boosh, got more famous. The video kept coming back, and people were assuming that it had been made the previous week. So it was sort of, and then that actually ended up being like a help rather than a hindrance when I was putting the movie together because I could say, oh, it's a little bit like this. Yeah, yeah. This is the sort of like, you know, I mean, but it's, it's sort of crazy that it's like, um, that said is I don't think I could have made it, I couldn't have made it 22 years ago. I wasn't even a film director. Um, I don't think I could have made it 10 years ago. So it's a strange thing of like, for some people it's like, oh, this is a departure from the other films. And I'm like, it is, but it's also like my oldest idea. So I think it's the a thing like... The other films were a departure from... From the of I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't have made it ten years ago. Yeah. I think like I had to live in North America a bit more, and you know, in that since then, like I've driven across the states twice. You know, like I um, lived in like Los Angeles and Toronto, and like sort of you know, just so I think sort of all of those kind of life experiences, and then also done lots of research. Like I was saying last night about interviewing ex-cons. Um, it also factored into this thing of like bringing this dream that I had when I was 21 to sort of like vivid life, you know? Yeah, and is it like pieces of a puzzle? Like I was thinking about the video idea. So that clearly like was an idea that you had a while ago and you used in the video and it works really well in the movie. But there's one piece of the puzzle. And then, um, you know, the bell bottom song that opens the movie, which has the, that, that uh, dance in the car. Uh, that's another part of the puzzle. Was it like that, just sort of like these little ideas that you just had to sort of scour around in your head and put them all together, or...? 
I think, well, it was more like sort of a slowly kind of building up what the movie was and what the structure was. And those things that, that sort of the main themes was about the idea of like the lead character's relationship to music. What if he had a getaway driver? Just on a premise level, a getaway driver who can't drive unless he has the right music. And then it becomes, okay, so why is he obsessed with music? Okay, so he's got tinnitus and he has to listen to music. And what has become like sort of, you know, like a, an escape for him has then become an obsession. And then also the idea of, okay, so he's a young driver. So then the movie is about an apprentice who is sort of on the bubble of whether he's a criminal or not. Right. But the thing is, the idea is, is that you don't get to make that decision. You are either a criminal or not. You can't be like half in, half out. So I think at the start of the movie, Baby is fooling himself. Then it's also the thing of like, okay, doing three heists. And within three heists, you see different combinations of personnel and you build up to like, um, almost like a super group of people that you've met earlier in the movie. Yeah. But also as the, as the heists go on, they get darker and more morally sticky. And, and then the sort of, you know, then as an overall shape of it, is the idea of like taking the dream of being a getaway driver and then you know in slowly introducing the nightmare of being a criminal yeah. and that that finally is the thing that he has to escape from you know the, the shadow of what he's doing which is maybe impossible maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so you interviewed a bunch of ex-cons one of them's in the film and really what did you take away from them like, what kind of thing did you learn from them? I'd say the biggest thing was how how much, like, sort of our lives are completely different and yet some things are the same. Yeah. Like, so, an amazing thing, like, being, like, Joe Lawyer, who was in the movie, was, like, obviously our upbringings are completely different. Like, what happened to us in our teenage years that led me, like, in, in one pursuit and him and, like, sort of into a life of crime, completely different. And yet, both love music, yeah. and we both love movies. Yeah. And so it's an amazing thing to sit with somebody who is like, sort of like, has a life experience which is nothing like your own. I haven't committed bank robberies. I haven't like, sort of been in prison. And yet we can talk about music and film uh, like, on the same level as each other. And that was a fascinating thing. And it's literally that thing, as I said this thing, I think I said it in the Q&A last night where I said, um, I was nervous to meet him, a little nervous to meet him, and then when I came in, he was just like, hey man, love hot fuzz, <laughs> know it off by heart, and I was like, and then, and then, you know, just asking him about, like, um, would you ever listen to music on the way to a bank heist, and he goes, not on the way, I got enough demons making music up here, it's like, oh my god, what an amazing line, so, it was just fascinating that, like, just, I would interview them about, you know, about the job in general and then I would just be very specific and so talking to people who are like sort of yeah ex-coms just about music everybody has every, everybody in the world has some relationship to music whether even if you're not a music fan and you don't listen to music per se everybody has a different relationship to it and that was something in the movie like it's not a movie unlike some of the other ones where there's, there's not really any not really too many film references in the whole thing. I wanted to make any of the kind of references about music. So like pretty much everybody in the in the um, film, whether it's Darling or like 
Deborah or Buddy or Bats, you know, they have some kind of like story that's music related. And like, you know, like sort of Buddy and Baby bond at one point over liking the same track. Whereas like sort of Jamie on the other hand is Bats is like sort of like treats this kind of like um, uh, their music love with derision and like has a whole other story about like hex songs and stuff. So I just like this idea of like covering everybody's relationships to music because you know everybody if they met a character like Baby who's always got his headphones plugged in you would immediately start talking about that right you're like what are you listening to like you know um, right. so right. I think there's a thing there's a, you know like it, it, it's, it's it was interesting I mean I think it's something that's very key to the movie is you're taking a look at a, a, a lifestyle and a profession that and the main the huge percentage of the population will never do yeah yeah and yet then there's another element to it which is entirely universal well, everybody I, has a relationship to music well I loved uh, Deborah when we first meet her and she's just walking along singing she's singing B-A-B-Y-B yeah she's singing song. a different song and he's listening to a different song yeah. and he takes out his headphones to hear what she's singing and, and it's great because uh, she struck me as sweetness and light. She is that. And just the way she's sort of walking on, singing to herself, and of course she's singing a happy song. And, just, and, it, and it tells you... It just a, happens to be his name. It just like, happens Whoop. to be his name. <laughs> like, but, like, but it tells you everything you need to know about her yeah. uh, in a really short, beautiful, cool little scene. You know? And it works. That Thank works you. really well. Uh, I also... I think in the script, it's funny, it says in the script at that point... That when she's like walks past and she's singing his name, he goes, it says something like, suddenly all the planets come into alignment. <laughs> That's what it says in the screenplay. Again. But, but that thing is, I think so many times you have things in life where, where when music syncs up with the world, yeah. if you're sitting there and the windscreen wipers are suddenly in time, he goes, isn't life great? Yeah. Like sort of the, the world is the world is now bending to my music choices. There are absolutely those moments when you're, you know, uh, I love going to New York and, and taking that cab in from LaGuardia. If the radio has the right song on as you're driving down the highway and you see the big Pepsi Cola sign, the world is perfect in yeah. that moment. You know, in that in that second, the world is perfect. Um, so quote today. Hashtag baby driving moment. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's, yeah. Coin we'll Let's coin it. Let's coin it. So, uh, in the Hollywood Reporter today, um, a guy named Matt Tolmack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, he says, audiences want what feels familiar, but they don't want it to be familiar. And I was thinking about I know that. Matt Tolmack. Yeah, and I was thinking about Baby Driver in that, because it, it feels familiar on some levels, I think, but it's completely different, and it's opening in a crowded summer where everything's got a two in the title or their franchise and stuff. What's your take on that? I think he's right. I mean, I think that's the thing. And, and in fact, Tom Rothman at the studio said exactly that to me. He said, you know, it's exactly the kind of movie that we want to make as something that's familiar but fresh at the same time. So it's like, you know, and it's taking things that like, audiences already enjoy but giving you a new spin on it. And, uh, you know, that was the thing. It was like sort of like the idea of like a sort of a different spin on a crime genre, something that's like, but takes like two things that you already love and puts them together in an interesting way. Yeah. So it's making like making a new ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take the cookies from here yeah. and the caramel from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, 
was there an effort when writing and the whole putting this together to avoid the cliches? Well, I think the thing is sometimes you're actually taking the cliches head on and subverting them in different ways. Right. Like there's things in the movie that are like, you know, uh, archetypes of the genre, but um, they, uh, you know, I try to sort of like put twists on them, even, you know, even like things like, I mean, a, a good example is like the planning scene. Like you've got a scene where like Kevin Spacey is briefing the robbers, but the twist is you can't hear him yeah, yeah, yeah. because Baby is listening to Dave Brubeck. Because you're almost like saying it's like this planning scene is not important. Like you just kind of like this is just exposition, and then there's a twist to that in terms of somebody asks him whether he understood what was just being said. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think sometimes it's like sort of like taking things in completely different directions, and sometimes like tackling the cliche head on and giving it a twist. What is it about you? Last night you mentioned a lot of chase movies and dry car movies that, that you love. You mentioned The Driver, Walter Hill movie. Yeah. Uh, what is it about those movies, do you think, that uh, captures us? Because they are one of the great... I, mean, I think road movies are probably the great American genre. I think, but road movies are car movies, you know? So what, what is... Well, it? I think the thing is, is that you actually... Like, car chases, and actually, like, anything with moving vehicles or... It, it sort of becomes... <clears throat> cinema, its purest form, is that whether it's the general or stagecoach or like mm -hmm. the French Connection or Mad Max Fury Road like the idea of like sort of a vehicle in motion and action happening around it is something where sort of like sort of visuals and sound take over you don't need as much dialogue and so you know a great exciting car chase with no dialogue is absolutely thrilling you know and you know, French Connection or Bullet are like some of the best examples of that when they, you know, kind of... Um, and I think those as well is an interesting thing that, like, you got in, in, in movies suddenly, like, an action set piece that dominates, like, a good five minutes of the film with no dialogue, you know? Um, and uh, obviously that's, you know, so... I, I wanted to do a movie, you know, that... that I wanted to do a movie that had the ability to travel a bit more because my previous movies, which I'm very proud of, they're very, very heavy on the dialogue. And having traveled the world with them, you're very aware when you go to Japan. I remember when I went to Japan and showed Scott Pilgrim, I was sitting in the cinema watching some of it and I was like, boy, there's a lot of subtitles to read. Yeah, yeah. I said, if I was watching this and reading this, I'm going to have a headache. Yeah, you're going to see it twice. Yeah. You know, on the flip side, something like Gravity, you can watch that with the sound turned down, you know, and it, like, plays everywhere. I mean, this isn't a film you can watch with the sound turned down because you're missing out one of the best bits, but there's long portions of the movie where you can understand what's happening without listening to the dialogue, you know. There's literally bits where we turn dialogue off, you know. Yeah. And uh, Baby doesn't speak that much. No, yeah. and I think... And also, in terms of the twist and the archetype, is I... You've seen that archetype of the, the, the taciturn, like, hero, you know, from Clint Eastwood onwards. But I love the idea of giving, or Tachira Mifuni onwards, or Alan Ladd onwards, you know, yeah, yeah. going further back. Um, I like the idea of giving a reason for that. Right. It's like, sort of, oh, he's got tinnitus, and, like, he doesn't talk much because he's got a hearing defect, you know, and he listens to the music to sort of combat that. I thought, well, that's great, give him, give him a reason... And it's something that, you know, if you watch in the scenes, it's like when he's with the gang 
he's not talking because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. When he's with his foster father, he's not talking because his foster father is deaf and they sign. Yeah. And then it's when he meets Lily James, is like he's actually having a conversation with somebody for what seems like the first time. I mean, he has that line where she says, you don't talk that much. And he says, I've talked to you, I've talked more yeah, to you today yeah. than I have to anybody all year. Yeah. So I like that, I like that idea. Baby Driver is one of the few movies coming out this summer that doesn't have a two in the title. It's not a sequel. It's not a prequel. It's not a remake or a reboot. It's an original story from a guy who says, you know, the movie's got to be a little fresh and a little familiar. So go check it out. It's good stuff. Well, that's it. That's it for the House of Krauss this week. Thank you all so much for coming in. We love having you come by. We loved having Nathan Philly in here. We loved having Edgar Wright here. Most of all, though, we love it when you come by. There'd be no point in putting these interviews up here unless you were here to enjoy them with us. Make sure you come by every Monday. We put a new show up every single week. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. And who knows? It might be one of your favorite people. 